Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name and welcome you to this service. I too want to welcome our visitors. We're glad you're here and uh, we welcome you back anytime. Turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. I read this particular passage in my um, daily reading this week and uh, I was impressed with it once more. I'm going to read this chapter, and then we're going to see if we can learn a few lessons from it. First Kings 19, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as, as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him the second, came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights into Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither into a cave, lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and breaking in pieces, in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake quake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. Behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king of Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, thou shalt Shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Maholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it came to pass that he that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and he that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence, and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth, and Elijah 
passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Okay. I've entitled this short meditation, A Prophet Deals with the Realities of Being a Man. If we would look back at the chapter previous to this, we all know that wonderful account of where Elijah decided he was going to have that contest there on the Mount Carmel, and he did so, and he came out a shining winner in that contest. Because of God, he was the winner. And uh, he proved to those people there that day that God was God and that Baal was not a God. That was well proven that particular day. The man took proceeded to, proceeds to take 400 of these false prophets and single-handedly slays them. All right? But then you come to chapter 19, and you find this lonely, despondent, discouraged man. And you say, what happened between chapter 18 and 19 here? Well, I think it is a testament to the fact that no matter how good and godly and what heights you have aspired and attained in your Christian life, you're still a man. And you're probably still going to struggle with some of the things that men struggle with. And I think this story, if it teaches us anything, teaches us exactly that. That Elijah, man of God that he was, and the powerful things that he performed um, by the by the the grace and direction of God, of course, he still battled with things that are common to man. And so I'd like to um, just look at this story, draw a few lessons from it, and um, that we can maybe learn from this. Number one, I see from this story that the best illustration of God and his glory almost always happens at the expense of my physical comfort. Okay, I mean, Elijah was not in a very comfortable position the last numbers of days, okay? Um, just just the fact that he had the, the grit to do this little experiment on the Mount Carmel. As a matter of fact, the way I read it, I don't even read that he was necessarily directed to do this. I don't have that he was commanded of God to do that. He just did this. And I believe when he prayed that prayer and asked for fire from heaven, I think he knew it would happen, but I think he was exercising a pile of faith right there. I think he was. And I think the emotional drain that this man went through in those, la- in those last weeks, days, whatever it was, was almost uncomprehensible. Prior to that, there had been a famine. Um, these had not dealt the greatest results for Elijah. He had, uh, he had to sit by a brook by himself for a while and drink out of the brook and be fed by birds. 
Then a little later on he goes and he's sustained by the widow of Zarephath there. We know that story. But while he's there and being sustained by the, the widow, the widow's son dies. And this is traumatic for the widow. And the widow, if you read it closely, seems like she blames Elijah for this problem. She's like, hey, you, know, you kind of come around here and look what happens. My son dies. Well, we know the story. Elijah, again, through God's power, the, the boy is, is resurrection, resurrected. Life comes back into him. And the widow's faith is solidly planted in God through that. But again, a, a very taxing experience. In, uh, in chapter 18, uh, that we didn't read at the beginning of that chapter, we have, uh, the prophet Obadiah, who we know very little about, but Elijah ran into Obadiah as Obadiah is out walking the land, searching for water at the beck and call of Ahab. And, um, Elijah runs into him and has a little conversation. He says, Hey, you go tell Ahab that, um, I'm here and he should come meet me. And Obadiah's like, what did I ever do wrong? He's like, you want me to get me killed? He's like, I hit a hundred prophets, 20, you know, 50 in two different caves, and I'm feeding and watering them. And now you tell me to go get Ahab, and I know what's going to happen whenever I come back with Ahab, you're going to be gone. And how do I know where the Spirit of God's going to take you? You know, what are you, what are you up to here, Elijah? You know, Elijah and Obadiah were in the same camp, and apparently Obadiah didn't really trust Elijah. Okay? It's like, you're going to get me in trouble. And so, is it any wonder, when you when you put this all together, that Elijah's feeling very lonely? I just don't think that you have to wonder much about that. But going back to my point, we have to realize that, again, you look across the span of time, our historical forefathers, maybe even things we've moved through in life. When has God's glory been most revealed in your life and mine? Is it when things were going well and life is just, we couldn't have wished for more? We, we know the answer to that, don't we? And so I would like to just encourage us. Um, when we do face challenges, the power of God is available. And it will be most keenly felt and appreciated when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. Paul says to Timothy, Be thou not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou an, a, a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. And here's why he says, he goes, according to the power of God. When those afflictions hit, that's when the power of God can shine. Second lesson I learned from this, this particular passage. There are some battles in life that are unique to you and are unique to me. And it is quite likely that we will feel a measure of loneliness at times as we journey through circumstances that are very unique to me. And that, when we're journeying through that and we respond to those properly. And sometimes even if we don't respond to them properly, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit here, that's where we'll find God the closest. Okay? As I mentioned, Eliza's problems here were unique. 
Um, he had worked up the frenzy and ire of old Queen Jezebel and had to flee for his life. Nobody else was doing that currently. She had her eye on one person, and that was Elijah. Now, we know there were 7,000 other godly people in Israel because God said so, but Elijah, or Jezebel was not worried about them. She was worried about Elijah. As I thought over it, Elijah is in good company on the subject of loneliness. Uh, you think Noah would have at all felt lonely in his day? Or do you think that when David was running from Saul, there was any loneliness there? Or Moses, when he had thousands of people literally yelling at him to bring water out of the rock? You think he felt lonely that day? Paul says that whenever he was at his first hearing, all men forsook him. Jesus tasted loneliness. Loneliness is not necessarily unique to Elijah. And I think there is reason to think that um, there will probably be seasons of life where we experience a bit of loneliness too. I don't think we as Christians are necessarily exempt from that. And they're going to be unique. And they're going to be your season of loneliness. Uh, it could be a financial hardship, a health crisis. Perhaps you felt like you were misunderstood by everyone. And you feel lonely. The psalmist in that familiar psalm of Psalm 23 talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That sounds like an awful lonely place to me. But he said, when I'm there... I'm not going to fear evil because you're with me. Elijah experienced loneliness, and we will too. I think we should expect it. But Elijah also found out that when he was the loneliest, God was there. God was there. Number three, building on this this subject of loneliness, be aware that when, when we face loneliness in our lives, It's going to make us very vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. This man of God that I enumerated his various accomplishments in the not-too-distant past here, in verse 4, he says, It is enough. God, may I just die? Could you just take my life from me? I am tired of living. And then he looks at the uh, very dark picture in Israel. And uh, he said, as far as I know, God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's left. I think when we get into these into these times of uh, unique trial and loneliness, especially, it, it messes with our minds and we begin not to think rationally about things. Surely, surely Elijah could have remembered the prophet Obadiah not too many di- days before that had run into him And surely there was that kindred spirit that Alice was talking about in Sunday school. Surely he knew that there was at least one more. And Elijah and Obadiah had told him that, you know, hey, by the way, I got these prophets hidden in these caves here. Do the math. There's at least 101. And he's saying, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. I heard something recently that fascinated me. And as I pondered it, I'm afraid... 
You know, they're always doing studies about something. Do you ever think about that? There is a study on everything. It's unbelievable. Anyway, this particular study um, surveyed people, and, and how you ascertain this, beyond me, but they ascertained through the study that the human race, on average, 85% of the thoughts they think are negative. All right, so now just analyze what you thought about the last week, month. Do you feel like you might have fit that category at all? Negative thought patterns. You know, you, you think of something and then, you know, it kind of steers a little on the negative side and after a while you're just, the world is just a dark place. You know, it just isn't much good happening out there. Here's what I think. I wonder if the reason our thoughts don't tend toward negative is because Generally speaking, the negative things in our life is what we would somewhat wish we could change if we could, right? I mean, we're not really into the negative. We don't really wish to dwell there. And so as we think of these negative things in our life, our minds are trying to conjure up ways we can lift ourselves and move ourselves out of this negativity, perhaps. And so we just run in this cycle, cycle, cycle. You know, and we wake up the next day, and if the problem's still there, we still think about it. And maybe it's another problem that has added itself to it. And then the problems tend to magnify, and it just becomes, this is a glaring problem. I don't know. But Elijah basically sums up in verse 10 and verse 14 that we read, as he summarizes his feelings, he says, God, honestly, I don't know how things could get a lot worse. The way I see it, it really couldn't get a lot worse. And again, let's, let's go back. I think he was suffering this because he was in this, he was in this, he was letting this feeling of loneliness get a hold of him. And his thought patterns were going into a a downward spiral. How can we counteract this loneliness and these, um, these negative thought patterns? Just a few things that I thought of as I, as I pondered it a bit. And I think this this is true, what happened to, to Elijah here. Elijah was not truly alone. Even indeed, if he would have been the only one there that was still serving God, God was at least there. The angels coming and talking to him, right? So he, he had God, okay? He had that. God is always there, okay? Always. Elijah eventually left this this spot he went followed god's orders and as we as we well know the story he eventually is one of the few men that didn't taste death he's actually uh translated in that chariot of fire and so what we learn from that is the valley did indeed pass okay so whatever we're going through um currently it's going to end someday it will all right it will end and i think we do well to remember that And I think it's also important that we intentionally and consciously take control of our thought patterns, okay? Is there a reason why Paul, in his letter to the Church of Philippi, says, finally, brothers, he concludes his his, um, letter there, and he says, whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, if it's of good report, did you read any good reports in the news lately? If there is any virtue, if there is any praise, think on these things. 
All right? Think on those things. In other words, take a hold of your thought processes and think about some of the positive things that are happening in your life. And surely you can find some. I think it's also helpful if we realize that while our experiences are unique to us, there are others of our brothers and sisters and friends that have circumstances that are just as unique to them. And perhaps those unique circumstances that they're going through, you could speak to, you could help with. And there's nothing more therapeutic than forgetting our own problems and helping somebody else with theirs. I find it interesting that... um, Elijah apparently didn't struggle with depression and uh, these negative thoughts at the brook Cherith or at the at the widow's house there in Zarephath. And I'm not sure why that was, uh, but obviously his mind was occupied with something better, okay? And I think as much as we can, let's put our life in a realistic context, Apparently, Elijah's problem here was the fact that he was dead scared of Jezebel. I mean, Jezebel apparently was a woman of terror, okay? And, and it scared him. He's like, I'm going to run away from Jezebel. That's what I'm going to do. Even though he had single-handedly, as I mentioned before, killed 400 prophets all by himself. Now, rationally, you would think 400 male prophets, I would assume, and I can't take on... A little old queen? You know, it, it, it feels like that, that, that he had trouble grasping the realistic context of his problems. I think many times, many times if not all the time, it would behoove us to be just more honest about our circumstances than, we, than what we are. Again, the devil will use loneliness and its resulting issues to his advantage any time that he can. Be aware of that and guard against it. Number four. Another lesson I see here, even the most godly can succumb to discouragement and depression. And this is a talk all by itself. I am, I am uh, interested in the fact that there seems to be just an awful lot of depressed and discouraged and mentally ill, they call it, people in our world. It's a scourge. It's it's, It's absolutely incredible how many people are struggling with these problems. And I, uh, I have pondered many times and have not reached a conclusion, how much should that affect the children of God? I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. I know of very good and godly people. There's one comes through mind every time I think on the subject, a very godly family that I knew some years ago that the mother in that family suffered from, yeah, some real issues that um, um, kind of stumped her husband. And, and he. I, I remember him sharing with me more than one time about this and how that he it, it bothered him that his wife was going through this particular this particular issue. But I think, I would hope that we would have the resources 
um, to tap into. In fact, I know we do. We have the resources available that we have a very large advantage over the person out there that does not know God and does not have a church brotherhood to tap into. So I guess, I guess the, the point I'm trying to make here is, um, the prophet here, very godly man, he had this issue. It's not uncommon that we will face these things too, but if we don't tap into the resources that God has given us to overcome these things, it'll lead us down a path that I don't think is very, very helpful at all. And so let's just be aware of that. Number five, another thing I see here in this passage is that um, God is a good and a gracious God. You know, God could have scolded Elijah here. He really could have. Um, and maybe, you know, there's a part of you almost says maybe he should have a little bit. Now, come on, Elijah, come on. But he doesn't. Um, he could have left him there in that cave and just soaked just a little bit. But he didn't. He brought him food. And he talked softly to him. Twice he approaches Elijah. And he tries to reason a bit with Elijah. But he doesn't say, Elijah, you shouldn't be here. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? He, he, he tries to draw Elijah out as he, as he interacts with Elijah. I always appreciate the verse that the Hebrew writer gives us in Hebrews 4. He goes, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Okay? Always remember that. While Jesus did not, it's almost hard to even imagine how this all worked. But while Jesus, I don't believe, succumbed to discouragement and despondency, he did have some anxious moments in that garden. And he he knew, I think he understands, why we as human beings do wrestle with these things at times. I really do. It seems like Elijah sort of momentarily forget, forgot that he could cast his burden on the Lord, as Psalms 55 says, and he shall sustain thee, and he will never suffer the righteous to be moved. And I think that's maybe some, some of the reason why God dealt so kindly and graciously with Elijah here. He knew Elijah's heart. He knew Elijah was a righteous man and a godly man, and he gave Elijah the space to still be human and deal kindly and graciously with him. Now, isn't that an awful good God? I think we can thank God that he is who he is. I think being a follower of God gives us an advantage that we sometimes fail to grasp. Number six, another thing I see in this passage, godliness cannot be stopped and will ultimately prevail. A lot of Elijah's problem was that he didn't know anybody else that felt like he did. Um, Israel's history had been pretty bleak in the recent past, and as we all know, in the future it was even bleaker. And um, sure, it had its high points and its good kings and its righteous people that always existed in the kingdom. However, they were few in number, and I think often felt lonely too. <clears throat> I don't know how you feel in today's world. But um, it feels a little lonely out there. Things don't look just real great. 
Um, plenty of reason for apprehension as we look on the political and world scene. Um, not sure. Um, just not sure what we should expect in the, in the near future. And it seems, unfortunately, that unrighteousness always gets the most press, right? That's what the newspapers and the news feeds like to, like to, um, uh, push it as. All the ungodliness and unrighteousness around us. And it is true, if we're honest about things, probably we are on the cusp of some very rough waters ahead. That's very possible, very likely, actually. But I was really encouraged um, last weekend when we were in Ohio to a wedding. I met an old friend that I hadn't seen in a while, and we were, you know, talking about these these particular events that are concerning um, in our world. And, and he said, you know what? He said, these are trying times, but these are exciting times, he said. He goes, we could be the generation that sees the Lord come back. Well, that's true. That's very true. These are exciting times. We're, we're seeing things just kind of unfold in, before our eyes that generations before us have not seen. And um, indeed, it's very possible that we could be the generation that does not taste death. Very possible. And so it's kind of what we want to focus on. But remember this, godliness always prevails, no matter how few a number we become. And the last point I'd like to make from this chapter. God, it's, it seems kind of interesting to me how as we end up this chapter here that we read, <clears throat> God just kind of informs um, where is it here now? In verse 15, after um, after Elijah makes kind of his last complaint in verse 14, tells God how much things are how many things are wrong. Rather than sending him off for counseling, he says, Elijah, I have a few jobs for you that I'd like you to do. I'd like you to go out and anoint two kings, and I'd like you to find Elisha and anoint him a prophet. He gave him some jobs to do. It was time for Elijah to quit thinking about himself and his problems and get to work. That was very therapeutic for Elijah. And I would like to encourage us that one of the best antidotes to feeling lonely or despondent or discouraged is to just get to work and be productive. Do something productive. You know, Elijah did exactly what God asked him to do, and he was blessed for it. And this is not at all part of this particular, uh, it doesn't fit my, under my sermon title at all. But I am so impressed with what Elisha does whenever Elijah throws his mantle on him. Takes the ox, slays him, burns his equipment, and he's out of here. He's got a job to do too. And I mean, he burned literally all his bridges so he could serve God faithfully. You can take from that the lesson that you want to. But I'm just impressed with how he did that. Well, how should we conclude this? Elijah was a man. You and I are of like dust. Elijah was a godly man. I hope you and I are godly people as well. I have no reason to think we aren't. But as we go through our journey of life, as we live in these times... Let's be careful not to succumb to the temptations that Elijah seems to have wrestled with. Let's remember, God's there. Let's think positive thoughts. Let's work. There's work to do. 
and never forget that God is on our side.